0: a podcast by Warhorse Partners, supporting the move forward in investment management. Good day. This is Piers Curry of Warhorse Partners in London, and it's Monday, the 11th of May 2020. My guest today is my friend Armin Rajan. Armin is the founder and CEO of Create Research, a UK-based think tank that specialises in future trends in global fund management. Armin also offers strategic advisory services to CEOs and CIOs in numerous global fund houses on both sides of the Atlantic as they grapple with unfolding industry dynamics. So welcome, Armin, and thank you for joining me. Let's share your crystal ball. In my last podcast, my International Red Cross and Oxford University crisis friends worried about the economic consequences of corona rather than the medical impact now.
1: Do you share that? I, first of all, Piers, thank you very much for inviting me to take a part in this iPod. I feel very privileged. To answer your question, yes, I think we've moved on from a situation where we were very much concerned about protecting human lives to a situation where we are concerned about protecting their livelihoods. In the early in the early part of this crisis, we had a situation where, you know, we weren't sure whether NHS will be able to cope with the uh, mounting fatalities. And we've got to a situation now where NHS seems to be reasonably in control. And at the same time, the economy has been suffering tremendously, as you know. So we've come to a point now where we have to begin to think about striking that very delicate balance between human life and human livelihood. And I think we're at a point where that decision needs to be made. Now, the point is that our scientists know a lot about coronavirus but there is a lot that they also don't know. So we are left in a situation where scientists have to advise and our elected representatives have to make a decision. So we are very much at the mercy of government now in deciding what are the next steps. But we're getting to a situation now where we are inching towards that point where a return to work may be a serious possibility for a selected group of occupations. People like construction workers, manufacturing workers, others who work outdoors. So we're we're getting ready to have a a gradual uh, return to work. But it's going to take a a fairly long time, in my view. Uh, There is a lot about this virus that we really don't know. We've only got to look at the situation in Germany in South Korea to sort of see that initial success doesn't necessarily mean that everything is downhill from then on they are getting into a situation where, you know, they're bracing themselves with a second spike. And that's something that we really need to avoid. So, as I said, it's a very, very delicate balancing act that the government has to perform.
0: How satisfied are you with the UK and other news reporting of corona as it affects the investment industry?
1: Okay, I think we need to sort of draw two kinds of distinction. One of them is, you know, as it affects the society. And insofar as it affects the society, most newspapers have given a huge amount of information on, on coronavirus to, to their readers. However, when it comes to investment industry, there has been tremendous variability. For example, if we look at um, a paper like uh, the Times, it has talked a lot about you know, the here and now situation, which is helpful, but also what we need to do is to look beyond the here and now, and really sort of think about what life is going to be like for the industry one year, three or five years down the line. And in that respect, I think uh, one newspaper which really sort of comes to nearest to delivering that is is the Financial Times. Uh, Its coverage has been pretty good. uh, And, uh, you know, it's also presented a number of forward looking articles. But one thing which has been conspicuous by its absence is the view of industry leaders. You know, I haven't seen Many articles or many interviews which spell out how they see the future. And I think that is a sad omission.
0: Are some active managers still able to add value in this changing world? And which ones appeal to you?
1: Yes, there are some who are able to add value. But what we've found, as in the past, is that that their performance persistency doesn't really last for very long. You know, they deliver good returns for a year. For the first year. And then when you look at their performance in the second year, in the third year, uh, you know, there is a, a very quick decay in the, in the performance. So we're in a situation where active managers, as they have done in the last decade, they are struggling to deliver good returns. And the, 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 the simple reason is that in, in the past, central bank action artificially inflated the asset values To the point where active management became very difficult indeed, because asset values were determined not by the fundamental value of the company, but but very much by how much money Central Bank was putting into the economy and into the financial system. Now, we got to a situation where that's got even worse. I never thought that I would see or hear the Federal Reserve Bank in, in the state investing in high yield funds or in ETFs. I never thought I would hear that. But we go to a situation where the distortion of asset values is so significant that active managers are going to, to struggle. And those who are able to deliver in this very surreal environment, it remains to be seen how many of them retain a strong performance persistency. So I think they're in for a difficult ride at the moment. Why do institutions find China and India difficult markets for investment despite their huge growth? The the reason is the the governance structures in this country. As you know, in a country like China, most of the listed companies are owned by the government. In India, they're owned largely by rich families. And when it really comes to checks and balances that you need between a company's board and its management and its shareholders, those checks and balances are very, very weak indeed. They certainly are nowhere in line with what we have here in the West. Now that was okay in the, in the first decade of this, this century when China was growing at a double digit rate, all the emerging market countries were doing extremely well on the back of the super cycle in China. But as Chinese growth has slowed down very significantly from something like 12% per annum to something like 4% per annum, what has really happened is that it's not been possible to price in the governance risks in a way that it was possible to price in when there were super returns. So institutional investors now really worry about governance issues in in these countries and that's one of the reasons why they are shying away. The second reason is that for example if you look at Scandinavian institutions their articles of memorandum strictly forbid them to invest in companies whose governance standards are not up to best practice international standards. And so when it comes to India and China, you know, the fact that they're still growing at a faster clip than the Western countries doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to continue attracting money. The governance is really proving to be their Achilles heel. How do you think investment brands a shorthand and clues for authentic behavior will be? I think when it comes to branding, as we go forward, Brand will mean only one thing, and that is a promise kept. Investors have, millions of investors have lost billions of dollars in this bear market and also in the last bear market, and they're wising up. They are not really very interested in companies who are investing huge amounts of advertising dollars. You know, like we had a situation with the Newstar here in the UK a few years ago, where you saw their posters everywhere uh, in London. Now, what investors really want is you know, what has been your track record and how likely is it that you're able to, going to be able to replicate your track record? In other words, do you have a good client service function? In other words, do you have good and in deep investment capabilities? In other words, do you also have organizational stability? And finally, do you also put your client's interest above your own? So clients are really asking questions about if you're making a promise, If you're writing something on the tin, how good are you going to be at delivering it? So I think brand is going to become very important. But I think brand will be much more not about rhetoric, but it's about outcomes on the ground for the end investors. Will corporate authority reassert itself after lockdown? I very much doubt that, and for a very simple reason. The extent of government intervention we have got in the economy at the moment is absolutely unprecedented in the in the uh, post-war situation. The government is now so much part of everyday life, paying wages, bailing out companies, uh, helping out charities, you know, you name it, and everybody is going to the government with a begging bowl at the moment. Government has become such an important part that we are going to see government playing a very significant role in the economic and social life of the country we also have seen many fault lines revealed by this corona crisis like the inequalities in health conditions and health provisions in different parts of the country we have a government a conservative government which promised to level up the living standards in the in the uk across the across the board and so it is very difficult for me to sort of see government retreating and saying okay we were just a like a U.S. cavalry arriving on the scene at the time of crisis, the job is done. The fire brigade is going home. It's not going to be like that at home. So I personally see that the turbocharged capitalism of the sort that we saw over the last forty years, I think that is really going to go into very lower gear, if not into reverse gear. Higher taxes, a consequence for all. Will life be the same? Yes, I think that is going to be one of the consequences. Now, as you know, in every major economy, debt monetization has become a big issue. You know, here in the UK, the Chancellor announced measures in excess of 250 billion pounds. I mean, these are staggering sums of money. And the only way that the government can fund that kind of expenditure is really by getting Bank of England to underwrite it. So we're going to see debt monetization in a very significant way. But debt monetization, as you know from history, always ends up in tears. In 1970s, we saw stagnation and we saw inflation. And that's where the term stagflation came into being for the first time. And that resulted as a result of extreme debt monetization. And uh, what the government really wants to do is to avoid that situation. So yes, rely on debt monetization, but try and minimize that. And the next best thing to do is not to have austerity in a way that uh, George Osborne introduced, but to increase the taxes. And so I am afraid we're going to see increase in taxation in, in, across a, a wide spectrum of, of the tax system, particularly wealth taxes, particularly expenditure taxes, and also taxes on higher income people. I don't think the government is um, going to do that as a matter of first choice or the last choice. It's going to be the government's only choice. Taxation is, higher taxation is going to be inevitable. You wrote for the Warhorse blog a couple of years back now on six trends.
0: Are they still intact?
1: I think some of them are, but let me remind uh, our listeners about what those trends were. The first one was about changing demographics. Second, about the headlong rise in ESG investing. The third in rise of multi-asset funds. Fourth, uh, a regulatory creep. Number five, fees becoming the North Star of investing. And six, the rise of artificial intelligence as the new heartland technology in asset management. As I look to the future, I already see that some of these trends are really, if anything, likely to accelerate. For example, I see greater regulatory creep coming in because after every crisis, when people have lost billions of dollars, Regulators arrive on the scene and they try and mock up the situation by introducing new rules. I think we're going to see some new rules uh, on um, on illiquid funds and so on. Um, I see fees becoming even a bigger North Star simply because we're now into a low return environment, partly because the previous rounds of QE have borrowed against future returns and partly because the current recession is really going to be lasting much longer than people are expecting. I see this hole as deeper, darker, and scarier than anything that I've seen before in my lifetime. So investors are likely to be going for funds which cost less. And the whole idea is to rely on fees on a compound basis to improve your return. So fees are gonna become much more important. And finally, the artificial intelligence. I can see cost becoming a major, major differentiator in asset industry, as as active managers struggle to deliver on their benchmarks. They will have to reduce the cost and artificial intelligence because it can be applied in every area of the investment value chain. It is likely to be incorporated in front, middle and back office in this decade. Now, as you know, artificial intelligence is is very amenable to asset industry because data is the lifeblood of the asset industry and AI is all about data. So I see those three trends accelerating. Then I also think that um, the trend towards ESG investing is likely to accelerate as well, because having seen how dreadful a fat tail event can be, a fat tail event like COVID-19 can be, more and more investors are beginning to think about the next big fat tail event. And that is really going to be global warming. And the latest survey that we're just finishing, what we found amongst institutional investors is a renewed interest in ESG investing because they basically sort of saying that they really need to future-proof their portfolios against these tell events. So I see more emphasis now being put on ESG investing. And that really sort of leaves changing demographics and the rise of multi-asset funds. I'm not really sure how low, how those two trends are going to play out. On changing demographics, yes, you know, Millennials and women investors are going to become the key source of new inflows, but we don't know how they're going to be affected by this crisis. We're going to see huge loss of jobs as a result of automation. And many of these jobs on this occasion are going to be white collar jobs. In the past, technology has focused on blue collar jobs. Now we've come to the white collar jobs. We've got technology which can mechanise human imagination, if you can can think about that. There are going to be job losses um, amongst um, high-income people as well. So I'm not really sure how the demographic trend is going to play out. And I'm not sure about how the multi-asset funds are going to play out because we're getting into a situation of low-return environment and multi-asset funds in the past haven't really performed that well in a low-return environment. But out of those six trends, I think four are alive and well and they are kicking for me. And uh, we're going to see acceleration of those trends. Armin
0: Rajan is the author of 21 widely quoted research reports on different aspects of the fund's business. These can be found on his website at create-research.co.uk. Armin has long contributed a series of feature articles to the FT, Sunday Times, Global Investors and Financial News. Thank
1: you, Armin, for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Pierce.
0: This is a podcast from warhorsepartners.com, supporting the move forward in investment management. Keep galloping on until the next time.